Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer? The ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that is credited with building the world's only flying garage ship. Yeah, that's a real thing. You can look that up. Sitting at the controls, he is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good to see you, and it's good to be seen. Good to see you, Captain, because this week we are happily drinking Lake Erie Monster by the very fine and beautiful people at the Great Lakes Brewing Company. Garage grade, about three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Lake Erie Monster is an IPA, but it's got over 9% alcohol on it, so make sure that you drink it in your garage and not somebody else's. I give it a 10. Give it a 10. And do you know who else is very fine and beautiful people? It's the good people that filled up the fridge for us this week. We have Marius, who is buying the booze for the after show, according to her email. Uh, and I'm going to try this one out, Captain. She is from Stoke Markness, Norway. Oh, uh, we like your jib in Norway. I hope that I got that at least somewhat close. We also have Angela in Nashville, Tennessee. David in Columbia, Maryland, who would like to remind everyone not to litter. Thank you, David. And Pamela, who says, go Dayton Flyers. We also have Sindel who recommends that we try Allagash Kuryu, saying I, that it's super right. yummy. Yeah, I don't know if that's right either, but she says it's super yummy. So thank you to all of you, and if you want to help us out next week, it's really simple. You just go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. Thanks for supporting the show. We like your jib. Nice to you. So for everything True Crime, go to truecrimegarage.com and also follow us at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, at True Crime Garage. That's enough of the business, Captain. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, the garage door's closing, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. This is True Crime Garage. And this is The Serial Killer's Apprentice. July 17th, 1982. 11-year-old Krista Harrison is abducted, and six days later, her body is found. In October of 1983, a 28-year-old woman flees the home of Robert Buell. She tells police she was kidnapped, raped, and tortured. Police arrest 43-year-old Robert Buell for the kidnapping and raping of two women but he is quickly connected to the murder of Krista Harris and two other young girls. 
Buell admits to the rapes. In fact, he pled no contest and was sentenced to 121 years in prison, but maintains he is innocent in the deaths of the young girls. In 2000, as his execution day nears, Robert Buell, a man who was never previously granted a media interview, wants to talk. Like a caged animal, Buell paces back and forth in handcuffs and leg irons, shaking documents from a murder trial 17 years earlier. He points to a witness that was never called to testify, who told police he saw a vehicle that looked like the killers at the time when Buell was at work. Buell claims to have found murders of girls in Ohio and western Pennsylvania that he has identified six more cases of strangulation and molestation similar to Krista Harrison's, proving that a killer is still out there. Of those six, police have considered Buell as a suspect in two of them, but never charging him. On September 24, 2002, 62-year-old Robert Buell was executed for the strangulation death of 11-year-old Krista Harrison. His final meal, a single black unpitted olive. His final words, Jerry and Shirley, I didn't kill your daughter. The prosecutor knows that, and they left the real killer out there on the street to kill again and again and again. So that some good may come of this, I ask that you continue to pursue this to the end. Don't let the prosecutor continue to spin this out of focus and force them to find out who really killed your daughter. That's all I have to say. Well, we have a strange and weird case to talk about this week, don't we, Captain? Mm-hmm. We have a case of a serial rapist, a suspected serial killer uh, from the state of Ohio, um, and we had to bring in one of our friends, James Renner, true crime author James Renner, to help us with this this story because it's not an open and shut case. And for those of you listening to the show for quite some time, you know that James Renner has helped us out before. We talked about the Mara Murray case. Well, he might be your friend, but I mean, he's a journalist, so he's the enemy. <laughs> he well, he helped us out with the Mara Murray case, right? He's the enemy, and he wrote. A, and you're right. He wrote a book called True Crime Addict involving that case. He's the enemy, and he is the captain's enemy. <laughs> and um, no, he's a very nice guy. Writes he, very interesting books, and he also wrote about the Amy Mahalovic case. Um, and we discuss that on our show as well. You can find that one in iTunes uh, at the iTunes store. Yeah, that to me, that's one of our most interesting podcasts that we have ever done. One, because I'm not on it. And two, uh, I didn't actually listen to the interview when we recorded it. So it was the first time I ever heard it. And uh, that's a very fascinating case. If you haven't checked that out, that's uh, iTunes, like you mentioned, and in the website store. That's right. And, um, you know, you could pick up his either of those books as well. Um, you know, he has covered many cases from the Cleveland, Akron area. And this one is out of the Akron area, uh, the one that we're talking about today. Um, so, like I said, it's not a open and shut case. Um, and he knows intimate details of why there is suspicion on this case. So, but before we get to James Renner, a little background regarding this case. And this starts way back in Thursday of October 29th, 1981. 12-year-old Tina Harmon was trying to get to the Union 76 truck stop in Lodi. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just a few miles away from where she is from. She's from a small town in Ohio called Creston. And so at that time, the only real entertainment, the only really cool thing to do in town was the truck stop. They had a game room there and you know, they probably had a few arcade games and maybe a pool table. Well, this is where some of the young teenage kids would go and hang out. Mm -hmm. Tina's first stop 
is to a convenience store. She got a ride from her father's girlfriend, and at the convenience store, she hung out with a small group of friends. After getting another ride, she eventually makes it to Lodi, where she is met. There are several people that see her there, okay? And they had reported seeing her there with an unshaven man wearing a jean jacket. Uh, Unshaven, so he has a beard? He just has long hair all over his body. Okay, so this is 81, so this is coming right out of the 70s, so... Beards were popular. Long hair was popular for guys. Yeah, I, I'm joking. I don't know if he actually had long hair. The only description they give of the man was he was not a clean shaved man. He was no. he was didn't he was sporting some kind of beard or some kind of you know five o'clock shadow. Well, or, that's what real men do. So there you go. So he's wearing a jean jacket and he looked to be in his early twenties. Now this is the last that Tina Harmon has seen. His nickname was Teen Wolf. Her body is found several days later. This is about 40 miles from her home. Mm -hmm. It was determined that she had been sexually assaulted and that she had been strangled. Now, all of this, they determined, occurred shortly after her abduction. When she was found, she had been found fully clothed and her body had been neatly laid out. Her body was placed in an area that was used frequently and persons working in the area the day before They didn't see the body, so we know that she was not placed there terribly long before her body was discovered. On her clothes, the coroner found dog hairs and several fibers. Now, this would come into play later in our story. Now, we have another disappearance. This is on July 27, 1982, so less than a year later. Mm -hmm. This was a Saturday. 11-year-old Krista Harrison. She's at the park with her friend and schoolmate, 12-year-old Roy Wilson. They're picking up aluminum cans. They're collecting these cans and, you know, putting them in a trash bag and collecting them for later. Uh, Around 5 p.m., they see a maroon van with, you remember those old bubble windows that you would see on some of the older, bigger vans? That, That was popular in the 70s. Yeah, so this was a maroon van with bubble windows. They see this van entered the park Mm -hmm. and the van swung around so that it would face the road. Now the door opens and a white skinny man with dark brown curly hair, a long mustache and a big nose. He gets out of the van and he goes over to the bleachers and he sits down. Now this is near where Krista Harrison has parked her bike. Now these vans were really popular and cool back in the seventies. It was a thing, but these types of vans then became known as the creeper van. Yeah, they became a very creepy van because people were using them for terrible things. I think you could kind of outfit the inside of the van, right? You could take chairs out or you could take the bench seat out. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think you could kind of customize the inside a little bit. Yeah, some people would turn them into almost like a little limo type thing. So this van enters the park around 5 p.m. and uh, swings around so that it's facing the road. And, and we get a pretty good description of the man that gets out of the van. Here we, we, we hear he's, he's white. He's a skinny man with dark brown curly hair. Mm-hmm. He's got a long mustache, a big nose. And he went over and he sat down next to where Krista's bike is. This is on the bleachers. Now, Roy, her, her classmate and friend, he sees Krista eventually go over and talk to the man. And this is where it gets super Yeah, which weird. I wonder if he's uh, motioning to her at, at all, what would make her go over and talk to him. Yeah, I, he, Roy does not say. He, he, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, if, Roy might not have seen that action. Exactly. And he, but he does see her talking to the man. And exactly. He, he notices the man reaches inside of Krista's blouse. And the man actually did this like three or four times. And each time the girl like swats his hand away. Yeah. Now, Krista, very inappropriate. Krista starts to get on her bike. I'm presuming to leave the Mm -hmm. situation, this weird situation. Uh, This is when the man, he gets up and he whispers something in Krista's ear. Now, Roy could not hear what was said to the young girl. Right. Hence the whisper. But Krista then starts to cry. And after she starts to cry, she gets off of her bike Mm -hmm. and she walks over and gets into the van. Now she gets into the van via the driver's side door and she sits on the floor between the bucket seats. Yeah. The man gets into the van 
and he shouts out the window, bye, Roy, and then he drives off. Roy hops on Krista's bike, and he rides to Krista's parents' home, and he tells them what he had seen. He tells them about the van and about the, the creepy man, Yeah, and that is when they notify the police that their daughter has been abducted. That's probably the fastest he ever rode, mm-hmm. you know? Now, six days later, Krista's body is found in a remote area. An autopsy reveals that she had been viciously sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and that she had been strangled to death. Her feet were bound with a large piece of plastic tape, and her hair and her clothing showed the presence of orange carpet fibers. So yeah, now, which would possibly be from the van because a lot of them would be lined with the carpet. Yeah, and some of them even had that longer carpet that just seemed to shed and get on yeah, everything. Yeah, called shag. So we're seeing here with the first two girls, we have two girls that have gone missing. They're both found about five or six days after their last scene. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about similar situations. We're seeing a sexual assault with a strangulation. Both of them are last seen in the presence of a, of a strange man. Mm -hmm. Um, And this man is actually described by Roy as somebody that would have been in his pro- probably about 25 to 35 years of age. So not terribly far off from the multiple witnesses that had seen Tina Harmon with a man that looked to be in his early 20s. Right. So we had the first case took place in late 1981, mm-hmm. and then we had a case mid-1982, took place in July, and then now we're at 11 months later in June of 1983. Again, this was a 10 year old girl who disappeared from a street fair in Maslin, Ohio. Now the very strange, strange part about this case here, captain is that later that day, Debbie Smith, who had disappeared, she called home. Uh, and she, it's reported that she did sound upset, but she wouldn't say where she was. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't say what was going on. And this would be the last time that anybody would hear from young Debbie Smith, uh, a canoeist. Uh, this was just several days later, August 6th, yep. 1983, a canoeist found Debbie's body on the banks of the Tuscarora river. Uh, she had been raped and she most likely had been stabbed. Although the body also showed signs of blunt force trauma. Right. They did find melted wax. It was found on her body itself. And the mm. candles, which the wax had come from, they were found near the dump site. They were recovered as well. And there was no, there was no wax found on the first two victims. Uh, there was not any listed on the autopsy or coroner reports. Um, I, the thing here is we would have the most information regarding the disappearance and the murder of 11 year old Krista Harrison, mm-hmm. that it being a crime that went to court and we we had somebody that was convicted of this tr- of this case, so we would have one. Well, so then that becomes closed, and then they open it up to the public, and you so would, that's probably why we have more information about it. Yeah, you would have more public knowledge about that case, and <clears throat> and in that case, there is nothing that specifically says or references wax or candle wax in the Krista Harrison case. Now, again, we do have it in this most recent case taking place in 1983, and I wonder if there's any possibility of like that being post mortem. And that's probably a, a very difficult thing to figure out after the fact. But, I mean, they found the wax right by where her body was dumped. So I, I just wonder if that's a, a possibility. And one thing that's not clear here with this third case is, you know, where we've seen signs in the first two cases where the police and the authorities are saying, well, this girl was missing for a period of days. Mm-hmm. And she was not found until five or six days later. And we, we know of a situation where we had people in the area and we can confirm that she was dumped relatively soon before being found. Uh, she right, was dumped right. within probably within 24 hours of, of her body being right. found, which is similar to the other two. This case being lying on the bank of the Tuscarora river we just don't know how long she was there. We don't know how long that body was there until she was discovered. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange to me, too, that somebody would dump the candles, right, Captain? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, you you use them on the body, and maybe you're a little worried that that 
you use the wax on the body and you could connect it to the candles somehow. But right. I do find it a little strange that the candles were dumped nearby the body. And we're talking about a different situation, in my opinion. We're seeing here um, some act, some activity that we didn't see with the first two situations. We're seeing a stabbing and some signs of blunt force trauma, where in the other two cases, very obviously it was, it was strangulation. strangulation, right? So possibly not a connection to the other two. I don't know that that police were uh, starting to link these together at the time. I got to believe that they were, though, because this is not something that happens all that frequently. We're talking about girls of a similar age. Um, They're all from roughly the same area. You know, Mm -hmm. there's there is miles of distance between the three of them. But we're talking about three girls. One is 10, one is 11 and one is 12. And within, um, what, two and a half year time period, a little over two and a half years. Yeah. Well, the police are now looking for the boogeyman, right? We have somebody in North Ohio. No, they're looking for the unshaven man with the big nose. Who is killing young girls. He's abducting and killing young girls. And actually, in the the case of Krista Harrison, we have a very good description. We have the actual abduction is witnessed by her friend. Where in other situations, we just have a man that was seen with the girl. And we can't confirm that that's actually who had taken her, but we we have multiple people saying that that's who had seen was seen last with the girl. Excuse right. me. And we have a we have a description of the vehicle possibly too. And then in the third case, we have a girl that disappeared from a street fair in Massillon, which who knows how many people were there. Um, and obviously, there's there's no no description of a of an abductor there. And some people might be actually familiar with Massillon, right? Because there was that documentary about the Massillon Tigers. Which is a very... We Are the Tigers, I think, is the name of it. Yeah, so if anybody's seen that, you'd have an idea of the, the area. And it's not a true crime doc. It's a, it's a high school football doc. Yeah, because so. they're, they're kind of a... Uh, what, a high school football team that's somewhat on the national spotlight from time to time. They're well known, uh, yeah, especially so in this it, area. It, right, but if you've ever seen that, you kind of know the lay of the land a little bit. And just before we chat with James Renner, I do want to read a little quick excerpt from his book, The Serial Killer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. These murders were still on the minds of police and area residents two months later when Franklin Township Police received a chilling call from a Doylestown resident. There was a shaved, naked woman with a handcuff attached to one wrist standing in her kitchen, the caller said. The woman had shown up at her doorstep claiming that she had been held captive in a house across the street which was a little ranch house owned by Robert Buell. Before we join up with James Renner and learn more about Robert Buell, Mm -hmm. serial rapist and potential serial killer, and we're also going to talk about James's second killer theory that he titles The Serial Killer's Apprentice. But before that, how about a quick... The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer 
or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Beer break. All right, thanks to the sponsors. Now here's Nick and James Renner. Okay, so James, who is Robert Buell? Robert Buell was uh, a an employee of the city of Akron back in the early 80s. Um, uh by all all reports, uh, a really fun guy to hang out with. 
a very affable um, joker in the office. Uh, one of those guys you don't think about twice. Um, and also a serial rapist and murderer. Mm. Uh, and, and, and when you say serial rapist and murderer, he was suspected or known to have abducted adult females. So, yeah, let me let me tell you how he, he got caught because everything kind of comes off of there. Okay. Um, at the time, Buell was working for the city of Akron. This is, we're talking early 80s, 82, 83. Um, he was living in a ranch house in Doylestown, um, a suburb, you know, a little ways outside of Akron. Okay. A little quiet little suburb in this ranch house. For our international listeners, Akron is where LeBron no, James is from. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right. You know, Buell gets in his in his car, goes to work. Uh, about half an hour after he leaves, um, a woman comes running out of his out of his house, um, naked, uh, with a handcuff dangling from her wrist, and she runs to the neighbor's house and says, "Oh my God, I've been kept." prisoner in that house that guy is going to he 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 raped me he's he's going to try and kill me um so now the police descend on this house in doylestown found out find out that robert buell lived there and they quickly link him to a series of unsolved abductions and and rapes of um of adult women and uh, of which this this woman was lucky enough to to have been the last um and they all kind of fit the same description um, you know, they're in their twenties, early thirties, um, into, yeah, into their thirties. And, uh, um, you know, he would, uh, abduct them in his van. He had a, a, a big brown van, uh, creepy looking van and he'd pull up and sometimes find them at gas stations or in shopping malls. He'd force them into the van. Um, sometimes he'd have sex with them there. Sometimes he'd bring them back to the house in Doylestown, keep them for a day or two. Um, and then drive them back and drop them off and release them and release and, them. And when he takes these girls, these women, he 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 just jumps out of the van and, and forcibly f- right. takes them. You know, gunpoint or sometimes knife he point. would. Yes, yeah, sometimes he would use a gun and point a gun at them and say, "Get in the van." Um, and uh, so, yeah, adult women, and he would always let them go. Now, the when pl- when when these women are at his home, though, he you I mean, you say rape, but this I mean, I've read descriptions of. It's the most Things horrible the, thing this guy you can did, think of. and it's, it's 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 rape and torture. It's torture. It's he's uh, the word is sadistic, um, and and it's uh, I mean we're talking the worst things you can imagine. We're talking electrocution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking you know he'd shave their heads. He would chain them to a workbench. He would uh, put clamps on them and then uh, electrocute them. And then when when he was done getting his kicks after a couple of days, he would he would then drop them off. Um, and blindfold them, you know, coming in and out of the place and into his house. And uh, they quickly linked him to all these rapes. They processed his house. During the time, as they were processing the house, they, they started finding evidence, um, fibers and cat hair and um, paraffin wax okay. that were important pieces of evidence in a series of unsolved murders. What is paraffin wax? It's this, uh, it's like, um, back in the day, you used to get these uh, pieces of wax. They almost look like bars of soap. And okay. you would use them to seal letters You would or seal things. Um, there are people that get sexual gratification out of um, burning the, the wax so that it drips hot wax on your skin. And, and that's probably what he was using it for. Uh, because these... Um, the the reason that the wax was an important piece of evidence is um, around this area, they, uh, a bunch of girls' bodies had turned up. Girls that were being abducted by somebody. Um, and you say girls, these are not women. These no, are not no, the, no, no. The, the same age as the women that no. he was taking, raping, torturing, and releasing. Right. These are 10-year-old girls, um, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls, uh, prepubescent. Um, they were abducted. Um, sexually assaulted and murdered and uh police found wax on their bodies that matched the paraffin wax in buell's house they found cat hair on um, some of these and i'm sorry dog hair they found dog hair on um these girls bodies that matched the dog hair found uh all over buell's house Mm -hmm. um they found paint um 
on one of the girl's uh, bodies that matched the paint in, in one of the rooms. Um, okay. They found fibers from a rug that uh, were on these girls' bodies that they found uh, definitively matched fibers from a carpet that was rolled up behind Buell's couch. So they're like, oh my gosh, we've hit the honeypot. This yeah. is the boogeyman. Not only is he responsible for rapes of, of these grown women, but murders oh. of these these girls. Uh, and the girls were, let's name them, Krista Harrison, mm-hmm. Tina Harmon, and Deborah K. Smith. Okay. And they find this this mountain of physical evidence out of his home. Now, take us, let's talk about his uh, living arrangements, so to speak. Um, other, uh, you mean people that lived with him? Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he, he was uh, not living alone no, this entire time. No, he was not living time. with him alone. Um, and, and if you don't mind, let me skip forward just a little bit because eventually what happens is Buell pleads guilty to the rapes of these grown women. Okay. Steadfastly denies any involvement. He's already going to jail for life. Um, steadfastly denies any involvement in the girl murders in Krista Harrison, Tina Harmon, or Deborah K. Smith's murder. They try him for Krista Harmon. Uh, I'm sorry, Krista Harrison's murder. He's he's put on trial. He goes to trial. He's found guilty. I mean, after all, he's got all this evidence against him, right? Yep. Um, they find him guilty, sentence him. He is sentenced to death. He is executed in 2002. Okay. His last uh, meal request was a single unpitted olive mm-hmm. uh, because he had in mind that an olive tree would grow from his remains uh, and he would have eternal life. He's probably uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, did you, um, did you witness that execution? Or did I you did know not. you were a journalist at the time? I've spoken to people that were there. Okay. Um, you know, one of the last things he said was, I did not, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Harmon, I did not kill your daughter. Okay. Um, and he left behind a box of notes um, and evidence uh, and police reports. Um, and he had begun to su- suggest that somebody else was responsible for the crime. Um, but he wouldn't really ever say who. Um, and that box, uh, by the way, it's a creepy, you know, when I say a, like a cardboard box, you're probably picturing, you know, with the flaps. Like a that, cigar box right. is what I picture. Well, okay. That's interesting too. But this was a very peculiar box. Um, it, it, to me, it looked like almost like a kid's coffin. It was, it was a long, mm. very sturdy cardboard box, and the lid slipped onto it like a sarcophagus lid. Not like it, not like flaps. It was a lid that kind of lifted off and and, and when on. placed on it, almost feels like it it forms a seal right. once it gets to its end point. Exactly. Uh, you know, like like where they found the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. You know, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And this box eventually ends up at the office of Cleveland Scene, um, where I'm a, 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 you know, a, a rookie reporter, and I find it, and I'm like, what's this? Oh, well, this is a story that, you know, nobody's been able to tell. That's, you know, a guy that murdered very obviously, you know, killed these girls and always denied it. And the, somewhere in this box is evidence that he didn't do it. And Cleveland Scene gets this box how? Um, I believe it comes from... Was it a religious leader or yeah, a preacher? Yeah, I believe it comes from a, um, a, like a priest or a reverend who um, was helping uh, Buell out in the days leading up to his execution, you know, being there for him. As a, as a counselor yeah. or something of that nature. Yeah, so Buell left this box to him, and then that he eventually gives it to Scene, and that's where I get it. Okay. And I start going through it. And it slowly, it, well, not slowly, it quickly dawns on me that there is another suspect here. Um, and, uh, I had my hunches already. Okay. And I, but what I did next was, uh, I contacted the, um, Wayne County prosecutor's office. They're the ones that tried Buell for Krista Harrison's murder. I said, Hey, I'd like to take a look at your old files on, on the Harrison case. And they're like, Harrison, that's a closed case. What are you looking at? Mm-hmm. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I said, can I look at, can I see the files? I, and then, by the way, as a reporter, I hate it when like, you ask for a report and they ask you why you need it. Like that's that's illegal, by the way. Like in the state of Ohio under Sunshine Laws, they're not allowed to ask you that question. They ask it all the time. Right. Um, so anyways, I get down there one day and I drive down and I uh, end up in this uh, creepy basement microfilm room 
and uh, I get all these old files uh, that they've that they've put on microfilm from Buell's um, first case, and I pull up the film, and as soon as I see it, I know what it is. It's the grand jury report, and grand jury reports are sealed. Nobody's allowed to see them, certainly not reporters. Um, it's illegal for us to obtain them, hmm. but they made a mistake. They gave it to me. So I go through these grand jury reports, and the first thing I see is that the prosecutor, their star witness is a guy named Ralph Ross Jr., and these this is testimony. The prosecutor's questioning him, and the, and the prosecutor says, hey, he's trying to get information about Buell linking him to these murders. Hey, um, do you think your uncle killed these girls? Well... Yeah, uh, you know, let me tell you what happened. Um, I was, you know, Ralph Ross Jr. said that he was living with his uncle Buell. Self-admitted. Self-admitted, he- yeah. He was living at that round ranch house. Um, and uh, he said, yeah, my uncle, I used to get in the van with him and we'd go cruising for women, man. And the prosecutor's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, we used to drive around and Buell would tell me, you know, how we go looking for women to abduct. And he would tell me how he was going to get this woman in the van and take her back home, and we'd take turns. And um, he's like, "But, um, but I thought it was all talk." Well, and, and Buell was such—he uh, was such a prick that he 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 even says like to to Ralph, you know, every woman has a a, a rape fantasy yeah. or an abduction rape fantasy. Right, right. That's how he justified it. You know, let's let's let them fulfill their fantasy. Now, um, Ralph on the stand says, you know, I was, you know, it comes out that he was suggesting girls. And Buell's like, oh, come on, let's, you know, let's not cross that line. You know, I've got, I've got standards, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so we've got Ralph Ross Jr. suggesting, let's, you know, let's go after girls. And Buell doesn't want any part of it. Um, if you go digging in Krista Harrison's, the police reports, um, you find that Buell was spotted at a baseball game that she attended, uh, that she played at. Um, she was abducted from that baseball field uh, about a week after her game. Um, and she was abducted by a man in a van that matched the description of Buell's van. Um, there was an eyewitness. There was an eyewitness, yeah. Uh, a, a young boy who was playing with Krista um, sees this van pull up and a guy force her into the van. Um, and, uh, but if you read the police reports, you find out that at that baseball game that Buell attended where Krista played, there was another guy with him. Um, the guy was holding a camera. Um, and, uh, at the time of the abduction, you know, um, they showed, uh, later on after Buell was arrested, they went to the witness and they're like, Hey, you know, we found that guy with the van. Uh, you know, here's his picture. And the kid took a look at it and he's like, no. That's not the guy that came out of the van and took Krista. Um, looked kind of like him, but that wasn't him. Right. Um, and Ralph Ross Jr. looks uh, so much like Buell in they, some they, ways. Which is crazy. They're, they're not actually related. No, they're not. But um, when you see pictures of them side by side, you you would believe them to be related they almost. They look very they, similar, yeah. They have similar features, dark hair and... yeah. And uh, in fact, they look so much alike that Ralph Ross sometimes used Buell's license um, to get uh, into bars. Okay. So, um, you know, they, they'd swap license. So, long story short, Ralph Ross Jr. was, was living in the apartment, the, the house in Doylestown. Um, and I find out that he's living there when Krista Harrison is abducted. Hmm. In fact, he's living there until they, her body was dumped several days after her abduction. Um, and uh, after that, he quits his job in Akron and moves back home to Marietta, uh, near Marietta. Um, and uh, there, there's a description in the reports where um, he shows up to work with his arm all bandaged uh, the day after um, Krista's body was found. Uh, and uh, he actually calls off the day that Krista Krista's body was dumped. Buell has an alibi, by the way, uh, for the day that, you know, because there's a witness that saw um, uh, the guy dumping Krista's, Krista's body. Um, so we know when that happened. Buell has an alibi. He was out shopping by a, buying a dryer. Okay. Um, Ralph Ross called off 
work that day. He does not have an alibi. The next day he shows up with what he says is a broken arm. He's got it in a sling. He's all kind of messed up. Um, and then he moves out of Buell's house. So he's there the whole time that even the prosecution is saying Buell has Krista. And we know um, from these adult women that were definitively raped by Buell, uh, he kept them at the house. So if it's Buell doing this, he's got Krista at the house. you know. So at the very least, at the very least, Ralph Ross Jr. had to have been present for that. If he's not complicit, if he didn't participate, if he didn't do the killing, um, the guy was living there mm-hmm. when Krista was in that house. Um, and all that evidence, the fibers, the carpet, um, you know, the plastic that they found around her, all that that came from the house, Ralph Ross Jr. had access to that too. And what about the van that she was abducted from? Uh, that, that had to have been Buell's van. Well, guess what Buell did for his nephew? He tracked down the same make and model van and got it for his nephew. They drove the same van <laughs> and they had rigged these uh, um, these metal hooks in the back of the van, they took out a seat, um, you know, so that they had a place to, to chain the girls. To hold somebody. To hold somebody, yeah. Um, so all that evidence that ties Buell to the crime also ties Ralph, uh, Ralph Ross Jr. Um, and so this suddenly became very interesting to me. Yeah. And I track, I track Ralph Ross Jr. down, and he's living, living um, near uh, Steubenville area, actually, uh, when I finally finally get him he's still he's never been convicted he's still free and um i find that he's living um we're like an eighth of a mile like right around the corner from where barbara barnes was last seen it's a cold case from steubenville area uh, a young girl about the same age as krista harrison was um abducted uh her body was found on the side of a river uh months later um Ralph Ross Jr.'s, uh, when I tracked him down, was working for a cable company, installing cable boxes in people's homes. Um, after I wrote about him and linked him to these these crimes, um, at least uh, to the point where he had to have known about Krista Harrison, um, they, fired, uh, they fired him from the cable company. The FBI came in and processed the van that he was using. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they found anything. I know they were very interested in taking a look at it. And... Uh, um, last I heard, uh, every once in a while, somebody will give me an update on him because he's still free. He's still down there. Never really been questioned. Um, uh, he's now working for UPS. You know, he loves any sort of job that gets you in near people's homes. Um, so it's Great. a, it's, yeah. it's a messed up, it's a messed up case. Very convoluted, very, very interesting. Um, the other, the other girl, of course, uh, you know, Buell was only tried and executed for Harrison. And, and I once asked the detective, I said, why didn't you guys try him for Tina Harmon? Um, we know the evidence links them. Why didn't you try him for Deborah K. Smith? And the detective said, you, well, we only need to kill him once. You know, mm-hmm. we, we got the conviction on Krista. Why would we go after it? So I get together with Tina Harmon's family. This was uh, probably about five or six years ago. And, uh, her Tina Harmon's case had never been closed. And I said, well, um, you know, what, what do you think happened? They're like, well, we don't think it was Buell. Uh, they won't ever close the case. And I went to the prosecutor and, and I said, uh, you know, why haven't you contacted the family? You know, you didn't even call them to tell them that you believe it was Buell. So you're not investigating the case anymore. And so it went back and forth. And eventually I started working with the Harmon family as a uh, victim's advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of thing and and uh as a liaison between them and the press and we held a press conference and we demanded that the prosecutor test the evidence in the tina Harmon case to to definitively link it uh, to buell if they could um my thought was maybe it'll link to ralph ross jr i you know we haven't tested the evidence let's see um so uh the prosecutor came back and said no it you know where are we going to find the funds, you know, to test this evidence that's 30 years old? I said, well, how much is it going to cost? He's like, it's, well, man, it's going to be at least $300. Hmm. I said, I'll give you $300. 
you know, let's test this thing. He's like, no, that's not how, it, how it's done. So we ran another article and it said, prosecutor won't spend $300 to close a 300, you know, 30-year-old cold case. It embarrassed him enough that they actually did the test. Um, and the test came back a couple weeks later that they had Buell's DNA on Tina Harmon's pants. So they were able to say, well, there you go. Uh, it was Buell after all. We're going to close the case now. Um, I still have my doubts. You know, I have my doubts about the way the evidence was tested. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, I have my doubts that it was Buell working alone. You know, I think I I'm I know I know Ralph Ross Jr. at least had to have have been complicit complicit in some way in Krista. Harrison's murder um, at least had knowledge that it happened before anybody else did. So it would, it would, uh, I would assume that that would be true also for Tina Harmon um, and Deborah K. Smith. So Buell, he, the, the girl that gets, the woman that gets away, she flees to the neighbor's home. That's how police, they, they, get into Buell's home and they... That starts the ball they rolling. They come up with this, all this evidence. Does she say at any point... She doesn't give any indication that there was more than one abductor, though. No, no. Um, and, and by then, Ralph Ross Jr. Had, had moved away. Had moved out because your suspicions might have been he moved away because of the, the, the death of that young girl. It's too much of a coincidence that... You know, he calls off the day that her body was dumped, that Buell has an alibi for the time that the body was dumped, that Ralph Ross Jr. shows up to work the next day with his arm in a sling and then quits his job and moves back home. I think he thought that the police were coming for both of them. I mean, the acts that Buell did anyway are strange in nature by far and, you know, heinous crimes that he committed. But uh, regardless if he killed the girls or not, but the, you know, the, the things he did to these women are despicable. Yeah. But the thing that's odd to me is, do we, I, I don't know. Do we see people graduate from murder to releasing victims? I, I mean, I, no, absolutely not. In fact, <laughs> I, I spoke to a, a couple profilers on this. I believe I spoke to John Douglas directly again um, on this case to get that opinion. And, you talk to criminal profilers that, that do this for a living and they will tell you, no, in, in the history, <laughs> in the history of serial killing, you don't have a serial killer that gruesomely murders girls who also just abducts and releases grown women. Right. Those are two different MOs. Those are two different monsters. You know, um, you don't go from killing to backing off and you know, doing catch and release. So the the schools of thought here would be either Buell did do these things that he was convicted of and, and ultimately sentenced to death for, or with the assistance of his, not really his nephew, but right. his nephew through marriage. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, that the two of them did these crimes together. You know, I, or that Ralph Ross Jr. did these by himself and, and got lucky because he happened to live with a serial right. rapist. Right. Um, and I don't know the answer to that question. I do know this. Um, it's not the only time that Ralph Ross Jr. and Robert Buell um, were working together in a sexual nature. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a woman came forward and spoke to me that I was able to confirm had a, a relationship with Robert Buell. And she, uh, you know, in, in a grown-up kind of ashamed way, told me about how um, what Buell liked to do is is have threesomes with women and his nephew, Ralph Ross Jr. And so he'd get, and, and these were admittedly at least started consensual. Um, and she'd go over and, and uh, you know, Buell would have her have sex with Ralph Ross Jr. So they were, they were in the thick of it mm-hmm. together. Now, if, if, you know, you're, you're living at my home and, and, and it, how do I not know if, if you're killing children, right. killing girls, and you live in my home with me, how do I not know that if I'm Robert Buell? Of course. Of course. How do I not know that? Uh, you know that. You see, I mean, if, if he's got the girl 
in the house, you see it. You mm-hmm. see it happen. You see the things that he's doing. And maybe it scares you so much that you run away. You know? So there's there's answers to this case. There's a guy running around with with answers. And, and the prosecutor, what made me so mad was you read through these grand jury transcripts. Ralph Ross Jr. is on the stand. He's very much making himself a suspect in the case. Mm-hmm. But the prosecutor knew that he was invaluable as a witness. He was the case against Buell. He was the first witness that the prosecution called. And he's the one that um, essentially convicted his uncle Buell. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- what's Buell going to say? No, no, no. You know, yeah. my nephew did it. You know, but, he did it too. He knew he knew the evidence against him. And you, obviously this, this case is featured in your true crime book, Serial Killer's Apprentice. But it also kind of bleeds into one of your fictional works. <laughs> Do you want to touch on that just real quick? Well, um, yeah. I've written a couple novels. The first one is The Man from Primrose Lane. And The Man from Primrose Lane, there it was definitely inspired by my work as a true crime journalist for the Cleveland scene and Free Times. Um, and yeah, there's uh, some similarities between some of the... Um, the pieces of this case, uh, the serial killer's apprentice. Um, there's also some similarities to, you know, um, you know, a, a bizarre case out of East Lake where a guy committed suicide and the police went to contact next of kin and they find out that, uh, Oh, you know, they, they're like, we've got some bad news about your brother. He committed suicide. They reach this woman. She's like, what? You know, my brother died in 1948. What are you talking about? And that's how they, they learned that this this guy in Eastlake had been living under a fake name in Cleveland for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's there's bits and pieces that definitely inspired Primrose Lane. Primrose Lane, though, is, uh, you know, uh, it's sci-fi. You know, there's time travel involved. And, um, you know, so it's a very different story, too. I found that story to be fascinating, Captain. I tell you, I found out about this, oh, probably about three or four years ago. Now, I had already knew about the Robert Buell case, and I knew about the uh, the the girl that he was convicted of killing, right? as well as having been suspected of two other girls, right? and I knew that they had found the, um, you know, the, the, the one woman had uh, got out of his house as he left for work. And got away from him. And that's what started the ball rolling on all this. I knew about this, but I always just assumed, you know, that Robert Buell, that that he was just proclaiming his innocence because he was going to be sentenced to death. I didn't know that there was anything behind there. There's kind of a story behind the story here. Right. And we didn't see this until we're able to talk to somebody like James Renner, who had some additional access to some of this information because of his job, because of where he worked and people that he interacted with. I mean, he he worked very closely with a journalist that spent a lot of time with Robert Buell before his execution. It seems like uh, Robert Buell, also, he wasn't just saying, hey, I didn't do this. He also tried to point you in the, the correct direction or what he felt was the correct direction. And so a little bit of an armchair detective well, he it, he was kind of cryptic about that, though. I don't know that he ever outright said that this this so-called nephew of his would have been involved in anything. Uh-huh. But what he kept reminding everybody of was that there's still a killer out there. And he actually pointed to some crimes that took place in Ohio and western Pennsylvania mm-hmm. of girls roughly the same age. Now, one of the cities of the girl of one of these girls was Steubenville. And you heard James Renner talk about that. That is where his his uh, nephew by marriage would eventually end up living. Right. Uh, so that kind of points a finger at him. Uh, one of the cases, too, that he talks about was the Amy Mahalovic case, which is actually quite similar to, to the uh, Tina Harmon case that we talked about today. There are some sim- similarities there. However— Yeah, uh, bo- both were found with uh, dog hairs and fibers on them. Correct, and there and there was a situation with the with the stabbing and a possible um, uh, blunt force trauma. So there's some interesting connections there. Um, I think, my, in my opinion, is it possible that his nephew w- was involved? I definitely think so. I think that there is there's something weird going on here because there's no way. But I don't believe Buell completely because Buell wants to make it sound like, yeah, I raped some women. You know, yeah, I, I tortured. And here's the thing. When he says I raped some women, mm-hmm. 
when you dive into the case, you figure out he didn't just rape these women. He held them captive for days and he tortured them. I mean, he did horrible things to these women. It, it right. was as close as you can to killing somebody. So what I'm getting at here, though, is there's no way that these two men lived together and they weren't in this thing together somehow. Because I, I just don't see how one could not know what the other one was up to. There's no way that Buell is cap is holding women captive, raping them, and unbeknownst to his his Ro- nephew. Well, his and, roommate. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the other hand, there's no way that the nephew is abducting young girls and killing them. And here's the thing too. I kept looking at this thinking because we talked about Buell had one of those big vans, right? Mm-hmm. And so did his nephew. His nephew had a very similar van. Well, here's the problem with They're that. They're like uh, creepy van buddies. And I kept thinking, I'm like, well, maybe maybe the nephew kept the girls in his in the van. You know, but we're talking about several days go by. It's mm-hmm. certainly a possibility. However, there are things in the house that linked the house to the girls. So either those items were were in the van with the girls at the time or the girls right, or, were in the house, yeah, and, which or, I think is the most likely situation. Or the, the items would be transferred. Mm-hmm. I mean, like as far as carpet fibers and dog hairs and stuff like that, maybe a dog never goes into your van, but there is transfer. And the nephew actually kind of fingers himself a little bit because he he's talking about in the grand jury, when the grand jury's trying to, to decide if they're going to indict Robert Buell, mm-hmm. uh, the the nephew is then giving his account of things that he knew of that might have been going on in the house or things that he saw when when he lived there. And he kind of puts himself, he kind of throws his hat in the ring, so to speak, as mm-hmm. being pot- potentially involved in this situation. Well, yeah, I mean, he definitely throws himself underneath the creepy van. And I don't think, you know, Robert Buell, I don't think he wanted to exactly point the finger at his nephew because if you do that and and you and you go out and you seek out this man and you bring him to justice it all just kind of circles back to you doesn't it i mean it doesn't really clear you of anything it just points out that maybe you this was a tag team effort uh on on some occasions yeah definitely that i mean yeah and who knows i mean he could just be lying about the whole thing in general and we, we do have to keep in mind, though, that after the nephew moved out, Buell continued to commit crimes. And mm-hmm. that's when he was raping these grown women and and holding them captive. So we do need we should point that out before, you know, uh, keep that in mind when you're considering this other person as a suspect. Keep in mind the, the person that we have to look at in his character and what we know he is 100 percent capable of while we're looking at this other guy. So it's always great to have uh, James Renner, a.k.a. the enemy, on the show. The frenemy. Yeah, and make sure that you pick up. I mean, he, he has a lot of interesting books. You have Serial Apprentice. The Serial Killer's Apprentice. Serial Killer's Apprentice. You have the Amy Mihaljevic story. Yep. And then you have the True, True Crime, Crime Addict, Addict. and As, which which is a, is a very fascinating read. And you hear him talk about uh, one of his fiction books there, uh, The Man from Primrose Lane. Uh, he and he also has the great forgetting. So there's plenty of good. Uh, books. So our, our recommended reading is well, just buy something just from buy James something Renner. James Renner. No, the the man from Primrose Lane is actually one of my favorite fiction books of all time. But we are of course recommending this week that you check out the Serial Killer's Apprentice by James Renner. This obviously featuring the case that we just discussed and many many more, including the disappearance of Ray Grycar the unsolved murder of Joseph Kupchak. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of these cases are cases that listeners have asked us to cover. They are listener request, and both of them are featured in this serial killer's apprentice. And another case that James covered is now the very famous case, which is that of the disappearance of Amanda Berry and uh, Gina DeJesus, which of course were later solved. And thank God they found those girls that was the case where the three girls had been living captive, which included Michelle Knight. Mm-hmm. All three were abducted by Ariel Castro, and during their time in captivity, Castro even fathered a child or two with with one or one of the girls, or more mm-hmm. than one of the girls. Uh, when James wrote about this, when he wrote the Serial Killer's Apprentice, and it, and it covered this case. That case was unsolved at the time, and in fact, no one had really linked the disappearances 
to that of Michelle Knight. Now, I do like to go back and read about a solved case before it was solved. Uh, So pick up The Serial Killer's Apprentice, True Stories of Cleveland's Most Intriguing Unsolved Crimes. Do that at our website. Uh, Recommended books are listed on the recommended page. Yeah, just go to truecrimegarage.com. And yeah, I mean, once you listen to our show and then you read this book by James Renner, you're never going to want to visit Ohio ever again. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a very good read. Yeah. So go to truecrimegarage.com, click on the Amazon banner and type in the name of the book that you are looking for or really any other item that you want to pick up uh, because if you, that you're in need of because every little bit helps the show. Yeah, I just bought 63 yo-yos off of Amazon. Got a good deal. Balk. I buy bulk. <laughs> He's a yo-yo collector. Hey, you know, you got to do some things. Yo-yo ma. Cheers, my beautiful friends. Have fun this weekend. Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album, and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life.